Welcome everyone to The Conversation Podcast. This is our new show on the Inside Dirt Network brought to you by recoverate.com.au and we are very excited to uh, have our first guest uh, of this new channel on the line and um, I think he would probably wish it was in a little different circumstances but uh, nevertheless we're pleased to have him back on the show. We've had him uh, a couple of times on the Inside Dirt show before that but uh, Dean Ferris, welcome mate. How you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for, for getting me on as the first guest. It's, uh, it's an honour. Um, yeah, so this you know this channel um, obviously is uh, brought to us by Recoverate, and um, they're a big part of your program this year. So it's a pretty good fit to have you, uh, you know, be the first guest as an ambassador for that brand. Um, you know, so I think uh, there's a, a lot of different things that we want to talk about in this podcast. Dean, I don't want to jump into it right away, but obviously, um, I think we'll just talk about first of all your back, um, how you feeling, how's the jet lag, how's the family. It's been a bit of a whirlwind adventure the last few months. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> been a crazy year so far, but always nice to come back to home, my little house on the hill, and um, keep things simple. But uh, jet lag's pretty brutal at the moment. You know, we're on the east coast of America, so it was a 14-hour time difference. Been back for two nights now and been, been a bit of a night owl, but um, it's all good. I've got a bit of time to recover. Yeah, I think I saw an Instagram post that was like a 1 a.m. You had your, your little, <laughs> little girl running around and uh, says jet lag, straight face. So, um yeah, that's been the last couple of nights. Uh, just chaos at night for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, for the viewers, the, the listeners that don't know, obviously you're back. I mean, pretty much you'd have to be living under a rock at this point. Um, I'm glad we got the scoop on this one to talk to you first. You've only been back, I think, a day or so at this point. Um, so I don't want to get straight into why you're back, but you know, let's talk about the America journey as a whole. You know, it was always. Um, it was always a risk going over there, Dean, and, and like I said before, I think you've shown quite a lot of character to back yourself that much and try it when you really walked away from some pretty big contracts over here to do that. Um, it's easy to say in hindsight that maybe it hasn't worked out, but um, how was your experience over there in the States? Yeah, um, you know, as a whole, it was really good. It was um, definitely something I've always dreamed of doing since being being really young. You there, Jeff? Yeah, mate. Sorry, I had a call coming too. Yeah, so it's something I uh, always, you know, wanted to do and definitely the last few years I've been here in Australia, um, had my sights set on, get, you know, getting there. It didn't work out how I wanted it to, but I'm, you know, I don't regret it um, for sure because if I, if I didn't take the chance and didn't go do it, I'd be thinking about it for the rest of my life. Um, so, but it, it was all right. It was, um, busy. I mean, um, and, and it was difficult packing up the family, um, moving over there, and then just had to hit the ground running. You know, like I, I landed there on a Tuesday and I was testing on a Wednesday already, and within ten days of the first national, you know, the first national round. So it was really short um, notice I had, but um, yeah, we uh, got some half decent results. It's kind of a you know solid top ten contender. So, um, as a whole, it was, you know, it was a good experience, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'd say you definitely showed a lot of, um, a lot of potential and a lot of speed. And uh, I was taking a look at your results just before we got on the, on the line here to do this interview. And, and we'll get into those in a minute. Um, but let's go back first. You know, I know you've talked about this a lot in the media, but I really want to give the, the listeners a, 
a breakdown. <laughs> I hear the family in the background there. Um, yeah. I want to give them a breakdown. You know, it's been a whirlwind year for you. And I think, like you said, uh, you had to go to the States, hit the ground running. Um, but it started off a long time ago. So I know it's probably rehashing it, but you could keep it short. Like, you know, even as, as far back as going to do the MXGPs a few months ago, like I think people have forgotten about that already. Like it really has been a unique season for you. Um, you know, is it now at this point you're home, it's going to be obviously feel good to regroup, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, I've <laughs> been to Europe, been to America a couple of times and, you know, after this time I'm like, all right, you know, I just want to go home and, um, you know, it's simple and, you know, pretty much hit the reset button. Uh, you know, I'm not going to do anything crazy and, you know, fly overseas if another opportunity or something comes up or this or that. Um, but, yeah, like, like you said, it's, uh, it, it does go a long way back. I mean, I made the decision, you know, in my own mind over a year ago that I'm going no matter what and um, made it public, you know, after I won the championship last year. And it took it took a good eight months to get a ride you know, so so much uncertainty for so long. Um, and then, uh, you know, I did the whole pre-season just off my own bat and, you know, just trying to get by with the equipment I had. Um, I had Europe come up. So while I had nothing, it, it was like a really good opportunity, even though it's not where I wanted to be in the, you know, the long run. Um, got a factory Yamaha and, and, you know, it was, it was a good chance. Then uh, come back here, did the... You know, um, you know, I was already brand ambassador of Recalvarate and it, it fit together with Raceline and I went and did a national down at Murray Bridge. And then, you know, while I was there, I got the call to go to Yamaha. So it's been a pretty erratic year, but yeah, I, I'm back in Kyogre where, where life is a bit steadier and yeah, a bit more. I'll just be, ta- you know, taking my time now um, just with decisions and, and, and the future. I think, um, and like you said, it's it's one of those things where sometimes you've got to regroup and, and you've made the best decisions you had, I think, with what was presented to you. Um, you know, so you're back in Kyogre now and moving forward where, um, you know, like I said, the the direction of the year, you made that decision a year ago publicly, you, you stepped away from a lot of um, big endorsements. And I'd say at this point, you, you probably um, you're appreciating the prospect of staying home next year and, and maybe racing the MX national season. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to put you on the spot right now and ask you if that's the plan, but it's obviously um, the grass hasn't been greener over in the States and over in Europe. And it, it's kind of a, a tell of the industry, maybe that that's where things are at, where someone of your caliber is struggling to, to find a home. Um, you know, is, is that, is that a disappointing thing for you? Or like you said, you just don't regret it at this point. You had to try it. No, I, I don't regret the decision going um, for sure like I said earlier it's something I had to do you know just to get it off my chest um, but at this point I mean I think this year was my big chance to you know to, to make it in the big league and um, it just didn't re- it hasn't really worked out how I wanted it to so I mean for me to say hey I'm gonna wait for another ride to come up in America next year would just be crazy at this point because it it's been like a whole 12 months of just exhausting you know everything I have to even my energy level to go and do it and um it's it's not it's not that easy to just fly you know fly over and jump on a bike there's so much that goes into it so at this point I'll I'll be looking at my options to you know next year for sure but I, I think that this year honestly was my my big chance and it just didn't work I just you know 
for me to pick up a ride next year and make it happen as an outdoor-only guy, filling in contracts or being a third rider for a team, which is, I think, a good idea. I actually had to do a bit better than getting, you know, a few eight places. You know, I needed to be chasing for a podium for, for a team to be like, all right, we're going to take this insurance policy and get the third rider. Um, while my results are respectable, I, that's how I see it. I really, I really see it as a team needs it you know, a guy that can kind of win or be a podium guy if they're going to do it. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think people sometimes forget that, like everyone gets patriotic and, and everyone's a fan of you over here. But at the end of the day, their industry, even though it's a lot bigger, it's not that different to over here as far as, um, you know, the guys that are on contracts, the guys that are getting paid the bucks that are worth doing it. Uh, you know, they really have that shot of, of being on the podium or, or at least being a top five guy every weekend. And and racing at that level, um, regardless of how good you are in your own country, you're going against the best guys in the world between MXGP and AMA. Uh, it's not an easy thing to achieve. Certainly not as easy as I think people, um, you know, people think from outside looking in. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the motocross economy, as everyone knows, hasn't been what it has been in the past. You know what I mean? When teams over there were running four factory riders and. Um, People would think, yeah, it, it wouldn't cost too much to put on a on a third guy, but there's, there's so much goes into it, and I think the teams are all, you know, running a bit tighter than, um, you know, what Aussie fans would would realise as well. So that that's also another factor um, that goes into it. So let's take it back then. Um, we'll get into the the ins and outs of you know the play by play and where you ended up with the results and how you ended up deciding to come back. But you know, at the beginning. You know, you got over there, it was pretty much lastminute.com, fly in. I think you rode the bike, uh, like you said, one or two times before Hangtown. Um, you went out at Hangtown, you went 11-8 for ninth overall. Um, so I think that wasn't too bad. I think a lot of people were pretty – I'd assume even yourself and the team, you know, you wouldn't be stoked on that. But as far as ninth overall round one with zero preparation, it wasn't a bad way to start things off. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a complete disaster. Um, I think it could have been because I, I really wasn't comfortable um, at that point. I think uh, maybe the mud in the second moto made it a little bit easier for me to get a half-decent result. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a disaster. I would a few points around one for sure. I, I think I, I tested maybe three days or four days I was on the bike. Um but, it, you know, it was the Yamaha. I kind of knew the bike. It's just that it was so different. Honestly, at the same time, it was so different. Um, so that, that was a bit of a struggle for sure. Yeah, and that's something I want to talk about. It seemed like um, from what I was hearing a lot of and what, I, you know, between your social post and seeing through the, you know, seeing through the middle, it seemed like you were really excited to get that break between, uh, I can't remember what round it was, but there was a couple-week break or a one-week break where you could do some testing and, and it was a case of, um, I believe you were switching out um, their spring forks for, you know, your preferred air fork settings. Um, so was that a back and forth with the team to kind of try to get comfortable and, and bring that, your, you know, your influence of a bike setting to the American technicians? Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. But um, it seemed like we would test in, in California and the track's really smooth and I'd get, you know, somewhat comfortable and I'd get to the race and there's the, Honestly, the track was so fast and rough and rutted and it just didn't seem, you know, to cut it. So then it's back to the drawing board always, um, pretty much straight after practice every round. So um, it was definitely an uphill battle, that's for sure. I, I think um, to have higher expectations for the first half of the series, you'd need a, like a really good base. Um, 
in the way of you know knowing how how the tracks are going to form up and know know how to set up the bike around the racetrack you know not not just try to get comfortable on a really smooth line helen track you know what i mean yeah for sure and that's something that's something that confuses me a little bit as far as some of the factory teams i mean i get it for supercross the west coast is is what it is with supercross um but the majority of the outdoor nationals are back east and and this was something i wanted to segue into obviously we saw you ended up at um, justin Barsh's house and you were training out there at his facility on the east coast i think he's florida or georgia um from memory but um did the team send you know because it seemed at that point you were with the family in the rv and and you were kind of flying solo and the team were coming to you at the races is that kind of how it was at that point yeah it was uh from round four i i did it from the rv so there's no more being you know in california or near the team but they did um you know had all the technicians at justin's and we seemed to make improvements there uh while the track was smooth it was really um you know, good grip and deep ruts and stuff because Justin's tracks, uh, you know, it's prepped really well and softer dirt like the Nationals in is. So that kind of helped. I feel like after that I had, you know, a, a definitely a far better setting. Um, but, yeah, we did that week at Justin um, with the technician. And then I think like the last two rounds were my better ones. I got eight overall at both of them. So it's kind of definitely made improvements for the last two. Yeah, for sure. I mean, looking at your results, you go ninth overall at Hangtown, you go eleventh overall at Parlor, which you know, probably isn't much of a surprise. I mean, that track in California, with the way it looked like it was prepped that round, there wasn't a lot of separation between anybody. Um, Thunder Valley, eighth overall, you know, technical ruddy track. Um, you know, I expected you to excel there. I think, um, as far as you can see, that was equal best. You know, eighth overall there, High Point. Now let's get to High Point, Dean, because I think. This was where everyone and, and in the media, everyone in the, the fans that you have in Australia, you went over there a few years back and you had that standout performance and it really put you on the map um, you know, for that moto that you had. But this year you go 11-11 and it kind of left everyone scratching their heads a little bit. Obviously, we're going to attribute that to you know not being comfortable bike set up and stuff. But um, was that, I guess it would have been a bit of a, a tough pill to swallow knowing how well you went there in the past and then going 11th overall? Yeah, it definitely was because um, it was like the only track I knew. Um, but yeah, I, I'll have to leave, <laughs> leave that one up to you guys to decide what it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you could read between the lines, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, you know, you did it a lot differently last time, shipping your bike over and, and doing it that way. Um, obviously, logistically, that's not feasible to do it for a whole season, um, but it really just goes to show what you can achieve. Um, I guess technically you were a privateer over there back in the day and you bought your CDR bike over with the help from Yamaha and uh, it's amazing, you know, the difference a few years can make. So, I mean, I guess if we look at the results now, we can segue in eighth overall Thunder Valley, you know, technical track definitely suiting your skill set. Um, WW, you go eighth overall in the heat and, you know, probably a testament to the fitness there that you were pushing through at the end of the motos. Southwick in the sand, you go eighth overall. Um, it seems like at this point we're reaching a little bit of a, a brick wall where the results aren't progressing much past that eighth place guy. Um, and was that kind of the realisation for you there that, hey, maybe this is about as good as it's going to get for me over here and it's not going to cut it? Yeah, I mean, um, it was. Uh, I know, you know, I was the feeling guy and pressing to come back. And, um, you know, the, the, the deal I had kind of, it, it was always going to change when, when pressing to come back. And 
it was just um, definitely um, draining and also I feel like I needed to make a big step to get to those next guys where, I, you know, I could get bonus and, and you know, um, make it worthwhile. And it, I feel like we kind of exhausted all the avenues and it was, um, you know, the, you know, the only viable decision for me was to um, definitely, you know, come home after, after South Week. So, you know, that's what it was. Um, <laughs> you know, it's been my whole life. I've been, you know, wanted to get there and um, it, it come down to that. I really, just uh, the second half, I just couldn't couldn't do it. So, um, you know, but I'm thankful for the opportunity and, and everything like that. Like, it was a lot of good time and got some half decent results. Definitely got the, you know, like I said, got the got it off my chest to, to go there, and um, and oh, you know, kind of thankful I had the Yamaha were, were okay with me parting ways. We just sat down, had a conversation with the whole team, and they were okay with it. Um, I mean, I did did the job as the fill-in rider, um, which you know they were thankful for as well, and you know we're happy to go our separate ways, and you know there's no animosity or anything. We're all, you know we're all pumped to work with each other, and. Um, you know, just had a couple of days there, a bit of a holiday, and here we are back home in God's country. Yeah, I seen you were hanging out in New York City for a little bit. Did that was that what I saw on Instagram? Yeah, I mean, we're uh, um, Southwick, Massachusetts, is like three hours away anyway. And I thought, oh, we're too close not to go. Um, so we just caught the train down into into New York. But holy, I tell you what, I felt like Nick Dundee down there. <laughs> the Kyogre <laughs> kid out there in uh, in the Big Big Apple. Oh, mate, I was way out of my element in that city, way out of my element. I couldn't believe how big it was. But we only spent a night there. It was just, there was also chaos and we were carting the girls around, you know, and just on the, you know, the front pack that we strap them in on. And, yep, yep. Yeah, so. Uh, just going full tourist like, mode for a few days. Oh, full tourist, mate. We just took a backpack and the girls and um, enough for one night. And we did the, um, you know, just had the bagel. You know, you, on all the TV shows, you see them eating bagels. So we got got some good ones of those and we got those big slices of pizza you know one slice of like whole <laughs> the, pizza. the whole pizza over here yep yep yeah which is pretty amazing and then um yeah that um but yeah it was, it was a pretty cool place but way out of my own like i said <laughs> yeah i think i can just imagine that but uh, like you said yeah being back in god's country in Kyogre, it's certainly a little bit different to to new york or california or anywhere on on the state side um i mean obviously oh, actually all of the states of chaos now that I think back at it. I'm, I'm standing here in my front yard and I can't even see a car or a person. I can see a few cows and some green paddocks, but <laughs> no matter where I went in the states, it was just chaos, I must say. I, except at Barsh's place you know, in Florida. That was kind of the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But it still felt busy because it was just the whole team there and riders. And, um, but yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> happy to be back for a while i I think this is um probably something writers don't understand and maybe you even appreciate it a little bit more you know being older now where you are in your career and and your family life these opportunities where you can you know drop everything go live on the road race for a a feeling ride or or, you know get a last minute call up with no environment around you you're just at the mercy of everyone that's helping you um that only works for so long, and I'm sure that was a stress that weighed heavy on your shoulders when you've got the family and and you didn't want to go do it by yourself. You know, you want those, you know, you want your family around you. Um, it's a big stress load to be trying to make that work. I can't imagine. I mean, look, I got a young guy now myself, and just trying to 
trying to organise the day-to-day is stressful enough, let alone trying to move around the world and travel on the road to race series. Um, was that something that also played on the mind as far as relocating the family and was it viable? And, and like I said, I'm sure it was pretty stressful. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm a bit of an optimist. Um, you know, when I said I was packing up going overseas, I, I knew I'd, I could make it work, especially with my fiance. She does an amazing job with the kids. Um, and you, you definitely don't want to be away from them, so I was never going to leave them behind. And, uh, you know, we definitely made some memories, but it was it was also a factor. Um, I feel like the girls were missing out on a, lot of, on a few things. Um and, you know, not really a stable home living out of an RV. So that, that was definitely a big factor. I felt like they, I was dragging them through the mud just to get eighth place, you know what I mean? And um, I feel like they're away from their um, their family a lot and stuff. So, yeah, there was, there was a combination of things um, that definitely weighed on me. Uh, but, um, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. The family's the best thing, you know, I've ever done um, or, you know, or, or I have. So. Um, yeah, you know, no regrets about going, but also no regrets about coming back. Yeah, it's part of the journey, and I think, like you said, you you, you had to do it. It was within you to want to do it. Um, and hats off to you, honestly, Dean, because like I said, you, you honestly, you've walked away from from considerable, um, you know, you're an athlete, you have a limited uh, time frame to make that money. You need to set yourself up for what's next in life, and we don't have to go into your financials, but I'm assuming you left a decent chunk of six uh, six figures on the table to um, to go over to the states this year and chase that dream. Um, you know, so you've sacrificed one year of your career earnings to chase it, and not many athletes can say they would do that at your stage. So, you know, hats off to you there. Um, you know, I just think back to maybe a younger Dean Ferris when you had the the KDM ride in the states, or when you were doing the MXGP thing full time, and it's funny how things work out because maybe this opportunity, if that would have happened back then, you know, it would have been a different story. But um, I guess that's just the way life goes, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it is what it is. I feel like I'm a big believer that you're in the right place at the right time. So, um, and it, I feel like this year I've been trying to get away and everything just keeps leading back to here. And, um, you know, with recovery and things like that. So, uh, definitely, if I hadn't have done this and decide to do this year like this I think um, a lot of it would have been hard for me to, to change change my life or, or change the way I was doing things that I think now I've seen you know um, or met a few people and um, definitely opened up a few doors by, by changing the way I've done it. Yeah for sure and I think you know a change is as good as a rest is what they say and three championships in a row you know, I guess it's kind of hard for things to not get stale for you over here and Maybe if you hadn't have gone, it, you know, we've seen Jay Marmon in the past. We've seen these guys that were really in another league. Um, and eventually the rest of the field catches up. They bridge that gap. I think the hunger and the predictability of the year by year, it, it gets to everybody. Um, I'm not saying that would have happened to you, but it's definitely maybe you think about it. Now you're going to be back in Australia. Hopefully we see you back here at the MX Nationals and, and Australian Supercross um, this year and next year and whatever the future holds. But you've, I guess you got a new lease on life and it's fresh and exciting again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think I was stale when I made the decision to go. I was still, um, you know, on top of my game, but I, I did feel like I didn't want that to happen. And because I had the, the desire to go overseas, it was good timing. But yeah, um, I think, uh, there's an exciting thing, you know, in the works for me. Um, 
was just going to keep me young for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, you know, moving forward um, from here. I guess there's one thing I want to touch on that we talked about a little bit earlier and, and everyone thinks that the USA is, is this amazing uh, industry. It's this amazing money pit where the rules of, of the, the Aussie moto industry or any other industry doesn't apply. Um, clearly, you know, you're stating that, you know, the bonus program you had, you had to finish pretty well within the pointy end of the, the, the podium or the top five, at least to get paid. Um Obviously, you weren't a contract guy, but as a fill-in ride for a factory team, a lot of the comments on Instagram, a lot of the the people were like, "Why would he come back? He's had this opportunity." But you know, as as, as an athlete, you know, your worth is your worth, and um, I think maybe you can educate everyone that the the top guys in America are making a lot more than everybody else. Um, but it's comparable to over here. That drop off is still pretty steep from the podium to just outside the top ten. It's a massive difference over there too. Yeah. It definitely is. I feel like there's definitely more money there. The industry's bigger, and um, I feel like there's more more people making good money. But then, like, there's there's like a bigger drop off. You know what I mean? Um, I, I know there's really good top ten riders that have been around for a long time. Like, and I learned in my time over there this year that you know there's people riding just for gear deals, getting money from gear, and haven't been getting signed on for the last five years. And I just couldn't believe it. Um, so it's not all, you know, what it seems, that's for sure. But um, if you're, you know, if you're going fast enough to run with, with rocks and old Max, that'd, yeah. <laughs> that'd be the place to be. You wouldn't be hanging around here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's that, like I said, it's uh, the, the guys at the top there are getting paid a lot more, um, but that level is so high. Um, you know, and realistically for yourself, it, it you know, it's not like you're going to come back and say, oh, I could run with those guys, but you have ran with those guys in the past and um, it's obviously a level you thought you could get to again. Obviously there's some factors in the, that stood in the way, but um, you know, is that you still consider yourself at that elite level? You know, do you feel like with the right environment, you could be, you know, running with those guys because. Um, yeah. Look, I'm not going to stand here and say, yeah, I can run with Moose Can or Tomac or Roxton because that, that didn't happen. But I definitely know that I can, um, run at a higher level than I was, that's yeah. for sure. And, um, w- you know, the way I had it structured, that you know, I had to do just a bit better to, you know, to earn some bonuses, and that, that's the gamble I took. And, I mean, that's part of the conversation I had with Yamaha. I said, look, I took a gamble, but I can't gamble anymore. You know, I, um, I want to look after my family and things. So that's, uh, that, that was part of the reason as well. But, yes, I, I do, do believe I, I you know, uh, I, I could do better, um, but at the same time, I'm not going to, you know, blow too much wind up my skirt and say oh, I would have won this round or this or that. You know what I mean? Um, the level there is really high, and I mean, unless you have done it, um, you know, there's, there's no saying that you could have or would have or should have. But um, definitely believe I've got more in me. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I still think that right at High Point a few years ago, really, this goes to show how incredibly well you did with, with shipping that bike over from CDR and putting your own little program together. Um, really highlights how impressive that was in my books because, uh, man, to, to do what you did and then to see you over there now with the full setup and it, it was an impressive effort there for you guys. But um, all right, Dean, so let's switch things up a little bit. So you're back home in Kyogle. Um, how far is Maitland from Kyogle, mate? Because we're there this weekend. 
it is only i think it's only seven hours but it might be a bit bit soon for me i reckon yeah yeah i mean seven hours is a lot closer than california to florida so um <laughs> yeah uh i mean obviously i'm just there in the pot a little bit there but um you know we are going racing for round seven of the series and uh I tell you what, let's speculate. Wouldn't it throw the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit if Dean Ferris came back for the last few rounds? Uh, I think I think you'll see Dean Ferris come back for the last few rounds. Yeah. Ah, there we go. So uh, yeah, you, I mean, uh, you're working, you know, on, working on it. But yeah. I mean, I've only been a stray for two days, but that that's the goal. I mean, I feel feel fit and feel you know like I'm I'm up to scratch. So and um, you know, I always loved racing here, and then MX Nationals, um, more retool. I've been there for a few years and, you know, I always like going to Coolum. And um, so, yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, so, I mean, realistically at this point, you know, Maitland is definitely going to be too soon to make happen, but um, that would be the goal of the last three. Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. I mean, it'd be a bit silly to go to Maitland. I, I'm pretty sure I'm still going to – the way I'm going, I'm still going to have jet lag by the weekend. So um, <laughs> Between the it, kids and the lack really, of sleep, yep. No, it's not even the kids. I made the mistake of trying to go for a nap yesterday afternoon. Oh, how long did you sleep like for? Yeah. Mate, I woke up at 11 p.m. Went, oh, uh, no. Yeah. Yep. And um, I've, I've been fucking along since then. So um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I need to go buy some sleeping pills or something. Yeah, we've yeah, all I've got, got to try something. We've all been there with that. I'll, I'll take a 20-minute nap and you wake up five hours later on the same time zone as where you just left. It's no good at all. Oh, man. It was like... A nine-hour sleep, eight-hour sleep. Yeah, it was like, yeah, no nine hours. Six to 11. <laughs> I couldn't believe, I didn't even flinch. And uh, I didn't even know where I was when I woke up. I was that tired. I'm more impressed with a exactly. young family. You could get nine hours sleep at four o'clock in the afternoon. That's more impressive than anything, honestly. That is, that is oh, actually, that is impressive, isn't it? It is. Um, whenever I try and get that nap time, it doesn't happen anymore. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, so let's talk a little bit, you know, obviously Recoverate, um, you know, a big part of your program, a big part of our program here with the, uh, the conversation uh, podcast coming out on the Inside the Network. Um, pretty cool that you can, you know, bring an Australian brand to America and be a part of your program over there. And, um, you know, how was the product that you were using in the States? Did it help as far as your, you know, your performance, your recovery and everything else? Because uh, I think people need to understand too, you're out there. You know, when you're doing the East Coast rounds, the heat and humidity is no joke. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, everyone knows the, the, the product's amazing. Um, a few things stood out for me this year um, in America was I didn't have one ounce of arm pump, even, you know, at times I was uncomfortable on the bike and I just didn't get arm pumps, which is, you know, something else for me, which I've always suffered with arm pumps at the start of the season or in practice, every practice, but um, that seems to uh, been be gone and also um, the heat has really struck me down in the past like when you know, when I was doing GPs it was always been really really heavy heavy GPs of like 40 degrees we raced in Thailand and stuff and I, I always seem to suffer more than everyone else but it was the opposite of WW Ranch in Florida it was like 37 degrees and 95% humidity and it seemed relative to everyone else you know it was still hot and it was still hard but relative to the other riders I was moving forward um Especially Moto Two, I put on a charge and I picked off a few few riders. But Roxon and Bagger were really suffering and going backwards, and I felt strong. And um, that's the first time that's ever ever happened to me. And I I, I have to put it down to recovery because I've tried everything, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not shy of hard you know, work. You train with a triathlete, it's a trainer in Guy Andrews, and and obviously uh, 
the, the effort is not an issue and the program is not an issue, but like you said, the heat certainly affects everyone differently. Yeah, yeah. And that's the only thing I've really changed. You know, I've always tried to improve and get better every year with my fitness and my training, but I can't say I got, you know, um, you know, I made massive gains from last year because I, I feel like I'm already at a high level just working on, you know, one centers or, you know, if that. So um, that was really cool. That was really cool for me to um, be able to push through the heat like that and not actually pass out after the moto. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see a lot of riders over there and, uh, you know, that's the rumours in the pits that a lot of those guys go to their private IVs and they get um, IV drips in their arm and that's against the rules. But, uh, you know, that's... Uh, I guess the disparity between the factory guys and the, and the privateers, not everyone could get access to that. And uh, I don't know, you hear that a lot. I'm sure you would have heard it around the pits, who's doing what. Um, oh, I heard that, yeah, years ago when I was in Australia. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. You can't really prove it. But um, even, um, at, you know, factory Yamaha, there's definitely no IVs happening, but we had um, ice bars, um, you know, just massive garbage bins behind the truck. So straight after the motor, we sit down and jump in that and cool down a core temperature immediately. And that that, was, that also, um, you know, was a benefit apart from being a private gear because you can't fit a massive, you know, garbage can in your... In the back of you the know, van, van yeah. If you're private gear in it, you know what I mean? So there's a few little perks of, you know, being a factory rider, that's for sure. Um, is it going to be a bit of a, I guess, not a shock to the system? You've done it both ways this year. I mean, when you think about it, you've done the height of motocross racing in the world at MXGP on Factory Yamaha and... I'm sure their semi and setup was was ridiculous. You've done it out of a pit tent at Murray Bridge with race line recovery at KDM. You've gone back to the semis and and uh, you know the glitz and the glamour of America. And you know I'm assuming that we're going to see a, a pretty similar effort for the end of the season with the pit tent and the the smaller effort. Um, but I guess racing's racing, right? At the end of the day, the rest of that stuff doesn't matter. No, that's right. Um, and you know, what a kid should should look at that it's not to do with how big the truck is or flash or you know the shiny gold fork it's not about that um you know you've got a good bike and you're fit you know all the rest doesn't really matter got a good good team of people around you and can make it happen for sure definitely no disadvantage about doing it out of van if anything it's kind of you know a lot more simple and easy at times you know like setting up and pulling down and um it's uh yeah like, like i said it, it, it's simple i like it for sure um, yeah, you know, I like I like not that attitude. I'm gonna, gonna down a, 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 you know, a factory ride because they've got a semi, <laughs> but definitely doesn't change your results. That's for sure. It's not the deciding factor. Yeah, I get that, and I mean, I, I do like that. You've been vocal about that in the past, and a lot of stuff I've listened to you in different interviews and, and podcasts. And you know, you're a hard worker. I think your family story is um, is something not enough people know about, and you know that to me was. When I heard that side of things, even I wasn't aware of that until last year when I heard that interview you did and, and speaking on your father and how you guys did it as a family with your brother and, and your mom at the farm. And um, I think there's this perception that a lot of these top guys like yourself get handed everything. And, and man, your story couldn't be further from the truth there, Dean. It was, it's been a lot of hard work for you to get to where you are. Yeah, well, actually, hopefully, you know, after my career, even uh, in between, you know, you, you've probably seen me doing some coaching this year and things, and I, I feel like I've got a lot to give and, you know, not just about writing, um, but, you know, about some advice and influence and, and things like that. I think, you know, coming to the later few years in my career, I'll definitely start to switch over to, to 
help, helping out some kids and families. Um, so, you know, I've kind of been doing that the last year a little bit. Um, took Caleb Barham under my wing and showed him, you know, just, just mentor him a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think I have a lot to give for, you know, the, the sport later on. Um, you know, with uh, just, just some advice, really. Yeah, I mean, um, you kind of... You kind of beat me to it there because I was I was going to say you know we'll finish this up in a minute things I know your eyes are probably uh, hanging out of your head with no sleep all night <laughs> but um you know you're, you're back now Dean and how old are you at this point? At twenty nine actually just the other day. Oh there you go, pointy end of the twenties. Um, yeah, it, dude, I blinked. I, I feel like I was nineteen yesterday and I blinked and I'm twenty nine. I don't know what happened. Yeah, the kids need to, I mean, I'm turning 32 this year and the kids really need to understand that your 20s, they fly by. Um, oh, mate, I always felt like I was the kid in the class. You know, I was racing against Boydie and Marmont and they were like almost a decade older than me, Coppins. And then, um, you know, next minute I'm the old guy. I think I think yeah, motocross has such like, a... Literally next, next, next minute, I don't know what happened. <laughs> what happened? I'm the old guy with the family now. Um but, you know, let's talk about, you know, 29. I mean, realistically, 29 is no age. But in motocross, you're getting up there. I mean, you know, Chad Reed and, and, and Justin Brayton and those guys, they're well into their 30s now, but they seem to be an exception to the rule. Um, yeah. What would you like the rest of your career to look like? Like, how long do you intend going? Where do you where do you really want to end up? Like, is it going to be motocross, supercross? Is it going to be motocross and doing some coaching, moving into something else? Like, what, what's the yeah. roadmap here? I, I think I'll, I should be able to prolong my career a bit just by slowing it down a little bit. I'm definitely slowing it down now. I just want to do, do motocross and then go do some fun events in between, Some maybe some enduros, some transmoto. Actually, I'm working on doing a transmoto later this year, so just keep an eye out in the socials. Um, oh, wow, that'll be cool. And, yeah, and, and you know, just keeping it fun because I feel like yeah, um, I've done a lot of years there where, well, years, 11, 12 years as pro, and it just seemed to be around the clock. So um, I, I think that's what causes a lot of people to retire is, is just the burnout. Um, but given that, you know, I'm definitely far more passionate about motocross than supercross, I think if I, you know, I step away from that and just stay focused on motocross and um, stay true to myself, I'll, I'll be able to prolong my career a year or two. Um, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. I think um, you see a lot of the guys that have prolonged their career, they seem to get to a, a transition where they go, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to do it my way that works for me, whether that's for those guys, Supercross only. Um, but I think here in Australia, like you look at yourself, if you were to do moto only, you know, you got, you know, events like Hatter, like there's um, just one example there, like you could fill your calendar pretty quick between NZ, uh, MX Nationals, some one-off Hatter type races and and financially, they could be pretty viable for you as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and that's what I'll be looking at doing for sure. Uh, and I'll go and watch Supercross from the stand. I enjoy watching it. Um, I, did, I did enjoy it, some Supercrosses, but it's definitely not like motocross for me. But, uh, yeah, in between, I really want to um, slow it down. Um, I really enjoy my off-bike training. Um, it would be good if I could hang out with Guy Andrews a bit more because we, we talk so much smack and we just love training together. So it'd be good if I could go out there and hang out a bit more and keep that going and, um, you know, learn as much as I can from him and pass it on to, a, you know, the new generation, do some coaching here at home, um, even travel around doing doing some coaching and, you know, helping out. Um, it, you know, the things are endless. I, you know, I could 
do 20 different things tomorrow if I chose to, you know. Yeah, um, uh, you're in a good position as yeah. far as options and, and moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to hear you want to stay in the industry. I think um, a lot of top you know, a lot of top pro guys do seem to really shut the door on that part of their life when they, yeah, when they do sure. move on, you know. I, think, I feel like I kind of didn't read the script as I was younger on, on how you have to do it and how you have to become a pro and you have to be rich and you need a base station and all that shit. So um, I feel like that, that, that's why I have a lot to give because um, definitely I'm proving the pudding. You don't need all that. So, um, you know, that in itself should, should motivate a few kids. Um, and I'd like to pass that on. <laughs> well, from experience, Dean, I'll say good luck drumming that message home to everyone in the pits, but um, you can certainly get a select few that will listen and, and see your journey. But, I mean, that's that's the good thing you're going to have is, as a role model. You've really done it all, and you've come from – I mean, look, you came from nothing, you know, as far as, uh, like you said, your journey. You probably shouldn't have made it where you have, that's for sure. So um, if the kids don't listen to that, I don't think they're going to listen to anything. Oh, well, if they don't, that's fine. They're, um, you know, putting some, some money into the industry, into the economy, so that's fine as well, I <laughs> guess. Either way it works, that, yeah. That, that's, definitely, that's, what, that's what's given me a job for all these years too. So, um, you know, definitely a balance. Yeah, I think it's it's more just in the social media generation and obviously you've, you've had to adapt to that being a part of your contracts and a part of you as an athlete, but... Um, there's a fine line between these guys that uh, are doing the work and the guys that are trying to look like they're doing the work, I guess you could say. Um, you've always been on the other end of that spectrum, clearly with the results. But uh, yeah, the sport, the world, it's a different place to when you, you came in. You know, I mean, what would your first year have been as a pro, like 07? Uh, was that right? 2000. You... Yeah, 2007, I was under 19. So I don't know if yeah. you call that pro or not i guess you do yeah i mean i technically i classify it as i don't know senior pro whatever you want to call it. it's your first year as you know in the mxn environment right yeah yeah so 07 yeah that's it's changed a lot since then that's for sure but um yeah i mean i think facebook was just you know it was kind of kicking off then you know getting big um definitely no instagram and stuff around back in 2007 no there was no social media influences and an economy based off that that's for sure um no, I, I think I still had a MySpace then. Oh, now you're showing your age. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure most of the kids wouldn't even know what that is, but that was like <laughs> the original Facebook. Yeah, for all the kids looking at it, yeah, listen to this, sorry, you look it up. It was uh, Facebook and socials before then. But um, all right, Dean, <laughs> hey, man, I'll, um, I'll let you go here, mate, because I know you're probably really hurting for some sleep and you need to, I'm sure you've got a, a thousand phone calls to make to get things back on track over here. Um <laughs> But yeah, just really want to say thank you. Appreciate the time you've taken out um, just getting back to talk to us here on the Conversation Podcast brought to you by Recoverate. And um, yeah, mate, we really yeah. look forward to seeing you. Hopefully, you know, I'd still like to see you at Maitland, but I guess that's probably too soon. I guess that's fair. So I guess we'll catch you uh, later in the season at the MX Nationals. All right. Look forward to it. Uh, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. No worries, Dean. Thanks for your time, mate. All right, man. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that was Dean Ferris, and uh, this is the Conversation Podcast on the Inside Dirt Network. Um, this is the first show we're doing. It was pretty last minute, as you can tell, because uh, we have been saving some really cool guests and some really big feature interviews uh, on this channel. This is the, the idea of this channel. is It's more journalistic, more in-depth uh, than just your standard Inside Dirt show. So this Conversation Podcast is going to be, like I said, a lot of 
um, guys in the industry that we want to get the story. We want to get what's going on behind the scenes. But uh, we had to bring that forward. We had to launch it right away because Dean Ferris was back from the States and it doesn't get a lot bigger than that as far as breaking news. So really cool for Dean to take the time out to talk to us here on the show and um, appreciate you guys listening. Like I said, this is a new channel, so you're going to need to subscribe to it on you know your Spotify, your iTunes, and every other podcast you listen to us on. And uh, make sure you subscribe, make sure you share it, uh, get it out on your social media, guys. We need the support, we need the um, subscribers, and we would appreciate that very much. Let me know what you thought of this interview and, and who you guys would like uh, us to interview next on the Conversation podcast on the Inside Network, Inside Dirt Network, brought to you by Recoverate com.au and uh, with that that is a wrap we will be back uh, with another uh, feature interview real soon on this channel and we're going to keep the ball rolling from there so like i said hit me up in the comments in the dms let me know who you want us to talk to and uh, we'll be posting some previews of who we're interviewing next and you guys can get involved with submitting some questions and and letting us know what uh, what you want on the show so i really i really think this is going to be a cool channel away from the inside dirt show and uh, we're going to bring you guys some cool content. So thanks for listening. Thanks very much to Dean Ferris for coming on the show and giving us the rundown on why he's back from the States. And thank you to recoverate.com.au for sponsoring the show. And with that, we'll speak to you guys soon.